0: good morning and welcome again my name is craig thompson the senior pastor and it is our privilege to have you with us we thank you for being here we know that uh, our good friend omicron has gotten in the way of a, a lot of uh A lot of uh, other other good intentions in the past week. A lot of our folks are home today, and for those that are tuning in online, we're so glad that you can be with us through that platform. We missed you, and look forward to having you back. But if you're a guest with us this morning, enjoy the room you have around you. Next week, you probably won't have that much. So, um, but um, uh, so for for the introverts among us, hey, this is a good thing, right? This is comforting. Uh, no we 're thankful that you 're here. If you have your bible we 're going to be in the book of Second Timothy chapter two, uh, beginning in verse twenty two in just a minute. We are doing January with just a couple of uh, topical sermons to help us start the year off strong told you Pastor Kevin is going to preach on the last Sunday in January and kind of wrap up what was our, our year through the Bible last year. And then um, beginning the first Sunday in February, we're going to begin in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is going to carry us through for a long way. There will be a couple of prescribed breaks in the middle just in case uh, you guys get worn out by the uh, the extended experience in that one book. But that's what will be going on on Sunday mornings. And the, for those of you in your life groups that are uh, using our sermon-driven discipleship curriculum, that's what your life groups are going to to be covering as well. A couple of praises I want to give you as we jump into the new year. We finished the year this past year, 2021, 12.3% ahead of our budget in giving. So that is a wonderful job. You guys have been so faithful in giving. As a matter of fact, the giving was so good in 2021 that we are about 6% ahead of 2022's budget at the end of 2021. So you guys were incredibly faithful in that. I also want to report to you that we exceeded our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Goal by about $4,500. So almost $25,000 going to fund international missions because of your faithfulness there. For those of you who might not be Southern Baptists for a long time, or maybe you're still trying to figure out who we are and what we're about, um, the the money that we collect through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, every single dollar of that goes to the international um, mission encounters. Uh, None of that goes to administrative costs. None of that goes anywhere except straight to fund missionary endeavors. In addition to that, I think I may have mentioned this, but I just want you to know in addition to that, because of your faithfulness in giving, because our, our giving was so far ahead, we were able to send $10,000 to Latvia to help Luke and Patty Talbert with the mission effort that they're engaging in. That money's going to purchase, or excuse me, to translate evangelistic materials and training materials. It's already gone to purchase some books that they can use to give out to other pastors as they're trying to train up those those leaders Um, it's going to help support a a vacation Bible school backyard Bible clubs for students and for teenagers so those are the things that are going to be happening with that money Uh, you are also able to support um, $2,500 that's going to Kershaw County School District hopefully this week. If uh, if they can get their office healthy enough for us to deliver the check, uh, but this just going to go to buy uh, jackets, coats, hats, and gloves for children and students throughout our county uh, that are that are that are cold and that don't have those basic necessities that that we all most of us take for granted. So just know that in addition, to all the other really good things that are, are happening in our church and the other things that are happening as a result of your, your faithfulness in giving, um, that's happening. In addition, we were able to make and I didn't write. That down, and I'm looking for Scott Taylor, Uh, about $40,000 principal payment onto the building fund at the end of 2021, $45,000, $50,000, $50,000, do we have 55, anybody, Uh, right now we'll take it, Um, but uh, uh, $50,000 principal payment onto the building fund as a result of the excess that came in, which is really good because we're going to have to build another one, so if y'all hurry up and continue to write checks, we'd really appreciate it. All right, that wasn't a joke. Um. (laughs) I'll be a little bit more polished when I begin requesting money later. All right. Having said all of that, y'all, these are wonderful things. A couple of other really good things. We've got folks that just keep streaming in. We've got folks that are having conversations about accepting Jesus. Uh, I have people that are anxious to join our church, and I'm not able to meet with them because people keep getting sick or all the things that are in the way, and so they're backed up. i got a backlog of folks that I'm going to get to meet with that are eager and anxious to join our church. We've got children that are that are in conversation about what it means to become a follower of Jesus and accept Christ. We've got teenagers that are inviting teenagers to come to church. Y'all are inviting co-workers. So lots of really good things that we want to make sure that we celebrate as we kick off 2021. Having said all of that, okay, and not having anyone to raise their hand and offer an additional 5,000 of the building fund, we're going to go ahead and get started with this sermon. If you would stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to begin reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 22. And for the record, this is our our memory verse for the week as well. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together. Father God, teach us how we may better represent you to the world around us through the word that you've given us. Father, change us as a result of this encounter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've titled this sermon this morning, Mind Your Manners. Mind Your Manners. What does a servant of the Lord look like? I read recently that good manners are the precursor to good morals. Now, I don't know for sure if that's true, but if it is, I can tell you that our world does not look very moral these days. we, we have become this strange, sort of angry world. I, I can't put my finger on all the reasons why are we so angry. A lot of people list these as options. You've got social media. Um, you've got uh, fake news that gets propagated. You've got election controversies. You've got COVID lockdowns. You've got this elevation of politics to a realm that belongs to religion. I've mentioned that before. We've got educational inequalities. We have cable news that is very divisive. Covetousness that we don't talk about as much as we should, but sometimes we're angry because somebody has what we want. Malice, envy, strife. There are many explanations for why it is that we are the way we are, but we've just become angry and as a result, we see things like manners that just go out the window. I was uh, picking up food from a local restaurant Friday night, and, and it was packed. They, call, they told me when I called to expect it would be at least 30 minutes before I could pick my food up, and I got there, and I still had to stand in line, and some lady stood in line, and y'all, they were just working as fast as they could go. Nobody was standing around. They were working so diligently, and lady gets to the front of the line, and, and they didn't have something quite ready, and she just got really loud, and she turned on her heels, and she walked out, and she exclaimed loudly, I won't do their job for them, too, and out the door she went. I thought, wow, you need to come hear me preach on Sunday morning. We've lost this sort of sense of decency, of manners. Good manners matter, but good manners are also more than just what you say. I got permission to share this story. When Angela was little, her brother, uh, her brother's uh, 12, 14 years older than her, her brother and some of his friends taught her that it was okay to say shut up as long as you said shut up, please. Needless to say, Angela's mom did not agree that shut up was an acceptable phrase coming out of her little mouth, even if she did include please with it. You know, it's not just what we say. Sometimes it's how we say it. It's the way that we look. It's our body language. But the way that we interact with others actually does matter. It actually does matter. And we find ourselves here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've got Paul not just giving Timothy a sermon about what he should believe, we've got Paul including in this passage a list of expectations for how it is that that he should live, how he should behave, and how he should act. And so this morning, I want to encourage all of you to mind your manners. I want to wrestle with the question, what does a servant of the Lord look like, act like? We sometimes get so caught up in what should you believe, the orthodoxy, the orthodox beliefs, But there also needs to be this orthopraxy, this putting into practice of those right beliefs so that we don't just believe the right things, but we live out the right things, that we actually, you ready for this, look like Jesus. The first thing that Paul says this morning is that we should flee Youthful passions or flee youthful desires. You know, it's appropriate that as followers of Jesus, we should be really strict in our understanding of what God says, but we've got to equally cling to how we should live. Obeying the Lord means what? Not just knowing what He says, but as the book of James says, but actually doing what God says. When Paul wrote to Timothy, this word that he used, flee youthful passions or flee youthful desires, in some places, is in, in some translations, especially the King James, I believe, does this, says flee youthful lusts, flee youthful lusts. And when we read that, as Americans, and I don't know if others do this, but as Americans, when I read the word lust and youthful lust, we immediately run to the idea that we should flee or run from sexual lust. That we need to avoid sexual and, and without a doubt, Jesus warned us. He said, if you've committed lust with a person in your heart, then you've sinned against that person. You've committed adultery in your heart if you've lusted after that person. But this word that Paul uses, epithymia is, is the Greek word, I probably pronounced it wrong, but is, is translated variously as lusts or desires or passions. An older word for this was a word that Augustine used in the 4th century, concupiscence. And the idea here is this broader picture that we should flee worldly desires. If we narrowly identify this phrase as sexual lust, then we can, again, this is where legalism becomes a get-out-of-jail-free card for us, right? You say, have you fled from your youthful desires? You say, I haven't lusted after anybody in, in 278 days. But if the picture is much more broad than sexual lust, but that you have fled from your youthful, worldly desires, then all of a sudden I have to ask the question, have I I ran from those things that I should have actually graduated from? Now, Paul wanted Timothy to flee from sexual lust without a shadow of a doubt. But young men and young women have a tendency to desire all sorts of worldly things. And Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful desires as we continue in this message this idea of fleeing youthful desires really captures much of what paul's explaining what are youthful desires let's think about it young men are often known to be hot-headed right when paul urged timothy not to engage in his youthful passions a, a wider understanding of this greek word epithymia leads us to understand that christian leaders should flee all desires of the flesh Christians, as our world gets engaged, or excuse me, gets increasingly angry and mean, Paul calls us to flee those youthful desires, those youthful passions, those worldly desires and passions, and instead to pursue righteousness, holiness, godliness. Watch this mature Christians flee their youthful passions and avoid quarrels. How many of you, as a follower of Jesus, regularly works to avoid an argument? The Bible says that you should. Mature Christians flee their youthful passions and pursue kindness. How many of you aren't just occasionally kind? You pursue opportunities to be kind to others. Mature Christians flee their youthful passions and learn to teach, not just to argue. There's a difference. Teaching requires patience. Any of you ever gotten to an argument with your kid and realized about halfway through that everything was going completely wrong and you were not—you're losing everything? You might have won the argument. You completely lost the war. I mean, I've never done that before, but some of you probably have. I better be honest because two of my children are in here. Okay, I've done that occasionally. Haven't we? Like, And, and it's not just been with our children. You, you've all been in the midst of that occasion. Where you've been trying to get your point across to somebody, but you realize, oh, I don't know, like, two minutes in, that you've stopped actually patiently trying to persuade and you've just become arguing. And by the time become arguing, you've just been arguing, and by the time that you realize it, if you're not careful, if you're like Craig Thompson, usually by the time you realize it, then your blood pressure's up high enough and you're, you're ready to go enough that, that at that point the whole goal has stopped being persuaded and it has been make sure that I do not lose. Right? Some of y'all aren't like me. Well, good for y'all, okay? Good for y'all. But the rest of us, we'll talk after. We'll start our own little discussion group, and we'll try and help one another. A support group for angry people. But mature Christians, we we learn to teach and to persuade with patience, not just arguing. Mature Christians flee their youthful passion, and they grow in patience. Let me ask you this question. If you've been a, a Christian for more than 10 minutes... Do you find yourself more patient today than you did 10 minutes ago? Do, do you find yourself as a believer more patient today than you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Do you see this regular growth in patience that you, you're finding opportunities, you're seeking opportunities, you're finding it, uh, the ability to actually bear with others more today than you did 10 years ago? If not, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we actually growing in godliness? Or are we just growing in our knowledge about the things of the Lord? Have we grown in our understanding of the Lord? Yes. Have we also grown in our application of God's Word? Mm. Mature Christians flee their youthful passions and learn to respond to evil with gentleness, desiring not that our opponents would be defeated, but that our opponents would seek repentance. Repentance. We've got to flee youthful desires, flee those desires to, 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 to conquer the world, flee those desires to win at all costs, and instead to cling to godliness. You see how more challenging this becomes when my conversation is not simply about fleeing sexual desires. My, 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 my understanding of God's Word urges me to flee worldly desires of all kinds. It makes it a little bit more challenging, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you what, when I understand this passage as related to more than just sexual lust, it enables me to grow in patience a little bit quicker because I realize how patient God must be with me when His expectation is so much more broad than I've been willing to make it. How much grace does He show towards us in that we're still here, that He still loves us. What does a servant of the Lord look like? A servant of the Lord flees youthful desires. The second thing is a servant of the Lord walks in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. The Bible says here, Paul says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. I'm going to say this one more time because I just think we probably need to hear it. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies controversies because you know they breed quarrels. How can you avoid these things? The Bible says we should choose the path of wisdom. Now, can I just tell you that choosing the path of wisdom involves all of the other things about fleeing these youthful desires I just mentioned? Because I've got to be willing again to be patient, to be kind with those who disagree. It takes time to build this. Um uh, you know I, I I try to avoid foolish controversies unless they threaten to harm others, but that 's been something i 've had to grow into understanding occasionally I have someone come to me just as a for instance and they 'll suggest that Christians should adhere to the Old Testament ceremonial laws and and years ago, when people would come to me with those things i would I would spend hours and hours digging in and, and wrestling through and, and trying to, to produce argument after argument after argument but I finally realized one day, I had to get smart enough, that Paul actually dealt with that in Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is about that very thing. And so anymore when, when I have somebody that comes, I'm not angry at them. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not angry with anybody for trying to understand God's word, but anymore what I do, I'm not engaging in that controversy. I'm not engaging in that quarrel. I'm simply saying, here's the book of Galatians. Once you have read the book of Galatians and explained away all of Paul's arguments against these things then let's have a conversation but until you've done that i'm i'm just not jumping into the fray what would cause me to jump into the fray the only thing that would cause me to jump into the fray for instance in that particular situation is if you know somebody was like hey i think we should adhere to the old testament law and I'm like, hey, I, I, I don't believe that God's Word teaches that. But, you know, if, that, if that's your conviction, I, you know, Paul says one man seems one day holy, another the other. And if you want to esteem another day holy, that's, that's fine. Uh, but uh, we, we can discuss it. Here's the book of Galatians. But if, if they sit up and say, you know what? I think that our entire church should adhere to the Old Testament law. And I'm going to be in teaching that. And I'm inviting people, you know, to meet me at, at a restaurant this, this Tuesday so I can change all of their minds and convince them to follow. Well, at that point, this is no longer a foolish controversy. Versus small core. At that point, it becomes something that involves the way that affects and impacts other people, right? So at that point, I'm no longer simply saying, "All right, once you've dealt with the book of Galatians, we can talk." At that point, we've got to do something different, right? But walking in wisdom means that guess what? Most things in life just aren't worth arguing about. They're just not. We have to walk in wisdom. What is wisdom? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why would the fear of the Lord be the beginning of wisdom? Because God is the ground of all that is true and knowledgeable. God is the beginning of everything. When we're trying to understand anything, we have to begin there. We have to begin at the beginning, and God is the beginning. He is the grounding for all that is true and right and holy and lovely. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We start with the Lord, but what is it? Wisdom is, Craig's definition here, Wisdom is good sense, judgment, and discernment that comes from an accumulation of knowledge and experience. Wisdom is good sense, judgment, and discernment that comes from an accumulation of knowledge and experience. Experience. Y'all, it takes time to build this sort of wisdom and develop the necessary self-control to live according to it. You see that? Time to not only develop it, but to develop... The necessary self-control to live according to that wisdom. How many of y'all have ever done what you knew you shouldn't have done? Right? How many many of you have ever sat around and said, I know this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do this anyway. And you looked over your shoulder and said, hey, y'all, watch this. We've all been there. Growing in wisdom and godliness is not just growing in our ability to discern what is right and wrong, but actually growing in our self-control so that once we have discerned right and wrong, we then are willing to pursue the right and forsake the wrong. That's what walking in wisdom looks like. Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness with faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. See, the opposite of that, rather than me standing up this morning and making some of y'all mad by saying, hey, don't be fools, we're trying to turn around to positive for 2022 and say, walk in wisdom. But do you understand that foolishness is the opposite of walking in wisdom? Who is the fool according to the Lord? He who does not fear the Lord. He who does not believe. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We need to make sure that we live as though there is a God who has controlled and created the world. And not claim to believe in this God and yet live as if he does not exist. Any of y'all when you were kids ever do something different when your parents weren't home than you did when your parents were at home? I got pulled over one time by a police officer. I've told this story before, but this is what He pulled me over across the center line. He pulled me over. He wanted to know what had happened. I said, you know, I didn't know you were back there. <laughs> he said, you should always drive as though I'm behind you. I said, if I had known, I would have been a little different. How many of us know that God's there, but we sometimes live as though he wasn't, Right? Live as though God doesn't have expectations. The Bible says walk in wisdom. Walk according to God and avoid foolish controversies. All right, I'm not going to dig in. I'm tempted to jump into lots of these foolish controversies. Can we just call them foolish controversies and move on? Right? Can we all grow to a place where we just come to an understanding that just some things have no grounding in truth? Sometimes they're just rooted in emotion. There are things that I want to be true because I want them to be true, but y'all, I can't will them into reality. Foolish controversies usually begin in emotion. And when they start in emotion, I begin to accumulate some semblance of facts to support that emotion. This is often where conspiracy theories are bound are, are, are found. It began with my belief that I wanted this thing to be true. And because I wanted it to be true, I began to cherry-pick facts that would support that. I want it to snow so bad I can't stand it, y'all. It was cold yesterday. I want it to snow. And, if, and it sounds ridiculous, but if I really want to, I can, I'll find every cold day between now and February, and I will try my best to create a scenario where I could see at least a flurry at my house. Y'all say, Craig, that is ridiculous. I get it. I'm not saying it makes any sense, but y'all, we can do that with so many things right this is what i want to be true well let me begin to cherry pick facts that would support my position and boom adam used to make fun of me because when covid began i'm i'm, I'm when it became all this covid stuff I've, I've tried my best to be the most positive guy through the whole thing and, and i'd look every once in a while i'd say you know what i'm looking at the numbers and i think this is going to happen he would say you have fun with that i'm just going to look at what the number is tomorrow and then we'll talk about it wisdom says what we just begin in the facts and we live in those facts We avoid foolish quarrels and controversies. We walk in wisdom. The third thing this morning is be kind. Be kind. Now, I didn't say be nice. For what it's worth, every effort should be made to be both nice and kind. Okay, But there is a difference. A nice person is a person who is pleasing, agreeable, and or delightful. A kind person has, or shows, or or proceeds, or lives from a a position of benevolence. In other words, a kind person is a person who says, I want what's best for you. A nice person is a person who smiles at you. You can be both kind and nice. You can be the kind of person who desires what is best for me, and you can be sweet and, and gentle and generous towards me. You can also be a nice person and not be kind at all. You understand? Like you could look at me and hate every fiber of my being, and you could still smile and pat me on the back and tell me how wonderful you think I am. Paul says that we should be kind. Kind. We need to be the sorts of people who want what's best for the people around us. Now, kind doesn't always mean nice. Isn't that true? Because there are going to be times where if I'm being kind towards you, I need to, as nicely as I can, tell you some hard truths about your life. These are the real sorts of friends that you need in your life, by the way. The kind of people who will look at you and say, I love you, but you need to know that this thing in your life is messed up and you need to get it straight. Paul says that we should be kind. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to your friends. No, he says to everyone. Everyone. Folks, people are watching the way you behave. And people are developing an opinion about who you are based on how you treat other people. Do people see you as a kind person? A person who desires the best for others around you. Are you the kind of person that makes the other people around you better? When you walk into the room, do the people around you assume that they're going to be better because they are with you? They are around you. You're doing everything you can to elevate the folks around you. Kind people will look you in the eye and say, You're wrong, but I love you and I want to help you get right. What nice people do, they see you in your sin, they pat you on the back and they walk away. Our children have been working on trying to understand the kindness of, that is, in our church children, the kindness associated with evangelism. And so, um, Sloan and Brooklyn were at the table the other day trying to explain to us that Rhonda's used an illustration with them that says, you know, if, if, you, if you found somebody who was eating taking something that was poisonous, the kind thing would be to warn them that, that what they're doing is, is hurting them, harming them, and it could, it's going to kill them, and they need to stop doing what they're doing. And they're using that illustration to help them to understand that when people are engaging in sin, when they're living in their sin, that that sin is poison, that eventually will, not only does it separate them from God today, eventually it will separate them from God for all of eternity. And so the kind thing for us to do is to tell them that God loves them, but that they should repent of their sin and they should turn to Christ. It's not always nice to look at people and say that they're wrong, but it is kind because we're seeking to save their souls. Paul says that as a follower of Jesus we need to be kind. Keep reading. What? What is this kind person the servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. Patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. Jesus had some things to say about this about being slapped on the right, on, on one side Turn and give on the other side as well. How many of us are, are willing to put our pride aside long enough to elevate Christ's commands? To be kind to those who don't deserve it. To be patient with those who test our patience. To respond to evil with endurance and patience. Followers of Jesus should flee youthful desires. They should walk in wisdom. They should be kind. And finally this morning, they should prioritize the gospel. Prioritize the gospel. Keep reading. Paul says in verse 25, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, period. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him and do his will. We behave the way we behave because we represent Jesus. We behave the way we behave because we represent Jesus. My children get tired of hearing this from me, but they they hear it from me pretty regularly. Remember who you are and whose you are. And occasionally I'll even remind them, you represent Jesus. But if you mess up, you're going to meet me before you meet him. You You represent our family in all the places that you go. Folks, you understand that we represent Christ in the way that we live our lives. And we are called upon to prioritize Christ's gospel. And so we live the way that we live so that we bring glory to him, but also so that, what does he say right there? So that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That we are patient and kind and generous. That we walk in wisdom because we have prioritized the gospel. Why are we kind and not quarrelsome? Why are we patient in our teaching and our leading? So that even our opponents may come to their sense and escape from the snare of the devil. When the gospel is our priority, our actions and our interactions change. When the gospel is our priority, we are often willing even to be wronged if being wrong furthers the cause of the gospel. Several weeks ago, maybe I guess months ago now, I preached about the importance of paying the tax that we do not owe. Jesus did not owe a tax on the temple because he was God in the flesh. And yet when they came to Jesus and said, Are you going to pay this tax? Jesus looked at Peter, and he says, hey, you think I owe this tax? Of course, Peter's always talking. You, we, we don't get the full interaction. You know Peter's like, Jesus, you don't owe this tax. Jesus. Peter, Peter's probably like, Jesus, don't pay it. And if they got something to say about it, they can say it to me. But, but Jesus said, no, 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 we don't want to show offense. There's a greater purpose here, Peter. I know, Peter, that you'll punch him in the mouth. But there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger role here. There's something greater. So as to not show offense, Peter, I want you to go down to the sea i want you to throw a hook in the water you're going to catch a fish when that fish comes up there's going to be enough money in his mouth to pay both mine and your tax Now i'm gonna tell you like if i'm peter i'm walking away and i'm like look i don't know why jesus is so intent on paying this tax jesus doesn't know this tax peter might have been the guy but i think most of us sort of imagine." Peter, having stuck his foot in his mouth as many times as he does, I, I, like I, I empathize with that. I, am, I, I completely understand what it's like to regularly stick my foot in my mouth. But can't you imagine Peter walking away, just kind of a three-year-old, just kicking rocks. I can't believe Jesus sent me down here to get this fish. What, like there's going to be money in a fish's mouth. He doesn't have to pay this and anything he owes. And he didn't tell me to throw a net. he just throw a hook, no bait. Peter walks out. He, but if he says it, boom, boom, fish comes up. out his mouth. Peter's like, oh. Money, what are... Why? Because Jesus did not come to overturn the temple tax. Jesus prioritized the gospel. Jesus paid a tax he didn't owe because of the gospel. He came to seek and save sinners, not to overturn the temple tax. Folks, sometimes we've got to be willing to pay a tax that we don't owe. Make an apology that is undeserved. Legitimately sometimes pay money that we don't owe for the sake of the gospel. We prioritize the gospel to such a degree that we're willing to make a payment that we don't owe so that we don't cause offense, so that perhaps by our kindness, our generosity, our patience, Someone, somewhere, might be granted repentance because of the way that we li- I, I live or we live our lives. Do you understand that we are called upon to prioritize the gospel? And when we do, when we, cons- we always consider how our actions, our attitudes, and our words may influence or impact someone toward or away from Jesus. I'll say that again. When the gospel is our priority, we always consider how our actions, our attitudes, and our words may influence or impact someone toward or away from Jesus. Several years ago, I, I offended somebody. I didn't mean to offend somebody. It was in a public setting. Um, she, she was a, an employee. Um, she, she, she did frustrate me with the, the, the actions that she took, but in my response, I offended her. I, I spoke with her boss. Afterward, because I was so frustrated with the way everything went. But her boss said, you, you really upset and scared my employee. Well, you know, that, that's absolutely the last thing I would ever want to do is to have somebody to look back at Craig Thompson, a follower of Jesus, pastor of Malvern Hill Baptist Church, Let me back up. The only people I would want to see me as scared would be like the boys that come on with my girls. It's okay for them to be terrified of me. Um, But just somebody in the community to see me as this just big, mean bully, this jerk. I, to this day, believe I did absolutely nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, I wasn't by myself, and the person who was with me affirmed that they didn't believe I did anything wrong that day the only thing I did wrong was be six foot one 230 pounds and loud okay but there was somebody working at a place of business in this community who was afraid of me somebody that could potentially tell everybody else in the community what a mean horrible bully that I was As a matter of fact, somebody else that person had worked with had already told somebody what a mean, horrible bully I was. To this day, I'm convinced I did nothing wrong. But that lady received a hand-delivered, typed apology with my signature on it to her desk. I'll never forget, I walked into her office and she sat there and when she saw me, she steeled herself behind her desk. How may I help you? And I so I didn't expect to find you here today, but I came to apologize. I understand that I offended you, that I frightened you. Nothing like that was ever my intention. Here is my letter of apology. Please forgive me. I represent Christ. I represent a church family. I represent my own family, my own children, my wife. And if I offended you, I was wrong. She cried at her desk. I still believe I was right. But the gospel mattered more than being right. The gospel matters more than being right. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we've got to mind our manners. And we've got to make certain that we behave at least as well as we expect our children to behave. I read a pastor recently who said he has a rule in his house that his children are allowed to use any words that he uses. He said it's become wonderful accountability for me. Because I need to carefully choose every word that I use to make sure that anything that they would hear out of my mouth is something they could repeat in the presence of anyone else. Folks, do we behave as we expect our children to behave? Do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Do we live according to a code of manners? Do we flee our youthful desires or do we indulge them? That youthful desire to just grow angry and impatient. Do we walk in wisdom? Not just do, are we wise, do we walk in it? Have we developed the necessary self-control to actually act and live according to the wise decisions we know we should make? Are we kind? Are you kind? Do people around you see you as a kind person? There's a book that we have available we're going to give to you guys probably next Sunday by a guy named Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's just this picture of Jesus and a strong reminder that Jesus lived kindly, lowly, gently. And then finally this morning, do you prioritize the gospel? What does a servant of the Lord look like? Do you know that a servant of the Lord is not a crusader for truth or values or low taxes or a political party? A follower of Jesus, a servant of the Lord acts, you ready, like a grown-up. When I was in high school, I had a coach, and his, his primary rule for us was always this act like you've been there before. You have to have, don't know what you mean. I didn't the first time he said it, I don't know what does that mean. He said, I don't care what you do, I want you to act like you've been there before. Don't embarrass me. If you score a touchdown, don't embarrass me by, by, by acting crazy. Just act like you've been there before. Take it in stride, be thankful for the opportunity, and move on. Act like you've been there before. That has has served me well in life. Act like a grown-up. Y'all, Jesus doesn't need you to fight for him. Jesus does not need you to fight for him. Imagine that. Jesus walks in, you're like, Jesus, I need you to step aside. Let me handle this situation for you. And yet many of us sort of think that way. This is hard when our closely held beliefs are challenged. Because when our closely held beliefs are challenged, man, we want to bristle up. What Jerry Clark called that that deep, redneck, bristled-up blood that just wants to come out. Anybody? No? Y'all need to really expand your offerings. Intellectual offerings, I mean. But, y'all, it's most important for us when our closely held beliefs are challenged, it's in those moments that we have to be as wise as serpents, ready, and as gentle as doves. Jesus said that. We must be very different from the world around us. A servant of the Lord is kind and wise because why? A servant of the Lord looks like Jesus. In conclusion this morning, as I mentioned last week, these sermons that we're going to be preaching in the month of January, if we're not careful, we can come across very legalistic. Right? They can always all be about if you do these six things then you made Jesus happy. Folks, I'm not trying to create legalism here. What I want to encourage and urge you to do is to love Jesus with your heart, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You ready? I want for that love of Christ to leak out of every pore in your body. I want for the world to say there's something different. In the book of Acts, we're gonna find ourselves in a situation where Peter and John get arrested. And Peter and John, these fishermen, that are completely uneducated, are gonna have this said of them. The religious leaders are gonna be amazed and blown away by the wisdom and the actions of these Untrained, unskilled men, and they're going to say they knew they had been with Jesus. That's what I encourage you to do today to live a life so that others around you will say, I can tell that guy's been with Jesus. There's something different. She's kind, she's patient, she's humble. She has prioritized the gospel to such a degree that she's been willing to be wrong so that others might be made right in Jesus. So that's the invitation this morning. Very simple. Do you look like Jesus? And if you don't, what steps can you take today to begin to change that? But watch, some of you don't look like Jesus today because you don't know him. See, some of you just really need to be honest about the fact that you don't know Jesus. It's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's certainly nothing you should live with. Today can be the day that your life is changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You will discover as you fall into Christ that minding your manners gets a little bit easier because through the power of His Holy Spirit, He will grow you up into a mature follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, when we stand to sing in just a minute, I want to invite you to come down. I would love to talk with you about what it looks like to accept Jesus. Today, if you'd like to come and pray, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to come pray on your own, you're welcome to do so here at the front. Perhaps your response today, though, will simply be to stand and to sing, to give glory to the God who changes all things. However it is that the Lord's at work in your life, as we stand and sing, would you be obedient? Stand with us this morning. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to look more like you, to live more like Jesus, to live lives that make a difference. Father God, that are patient, that are kind, Father God, lives that prioritize the gospel above all else. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.